Our scripture today comes from 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 11. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 11, and that can be found on page 1030-1030 in the Bible there in your pew. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, Supply and multiply the seed you have sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, again, we welcome you, especially we want to welcome the group from Purlington. Uh, We appreciate this congregation so much. They're here. Several of their kids have gone on a Bible camp with Lebanon Road Congregation, and then they chose to worship with us this morning. We're thankful. Uh, You encourage us deeply and richly uh, in your faith, and we're thankful uh, that you're with us this morning. Also, as already mentioned, we came back from a tremendous stateside mission trip in Elizabethan, and we're thankful for that. And also, in the air right now are about seven from our team that went to Honduras this past week. There were 16 baptisms there and several restorations also. Uh, two of them made it back last night. Seven are returning right now, and we're thankful for their uh, safe arrival thus far in the travel, and we're so thankful for the great good that's been done in these two campaigns. We also want to remind you that our community giveaway day, you remember we, we asked the question to ourselves over and over, if the Mount Juliet Church of Christ ceased to exist today, would anybody in the community notice or care? We truly want to be a group of people that make a difference in the lives uh, around us in the same way that Jesus would make a difference if he was on this earth and in this community and a part of this congregation. And so one of the things that we want to do is simply be generous to those around us that are in need. There are flyers scattered throughout the foyer. These are not for you to pass out to others. This is information to us as a congregation. John Michael asked me to mention this to you. It tells about when you can begin donating, what you can donate, what you can't donate, and how we need you to help us before you donate. And so please pick those up. And uh, the donation dates will begin in September the 3rd. And so that's just around the corner. But you could pick this up and be ready to make plans toward that. We're so thankful that uh, last Sunday morning, Tim Martin preached a tremendous lesson and John Michael Sunday evening. And we're thankful for the, the themes, if you will, that are merging right now as we're, we're still in the, the theme of studying about the worship that God would expect of us. Christ is on the throne, high and lifted up. Several weeks ago, we looked at what is worship. And then for several weeks now, we're looking at how is it that God wants us to worship him. But then we also are beginning another theme on stewardship. And so we're blending these two themes now as we look at what is it that God wants us to do and worship to him as it pertains to our giving. And I hope that that you will come tonight because this is very important. The mechanics of how God wants us to give will be addressed today, this morning. 
But the principles behind that God teaches, the principles that God teaches of what he wants us to do in worship and what it means and what it accomplishes, the depth of it. We'll come back and look tonight from the longest discourse in all the Bible about giving. Second Corinthians, the eighth and the ninth chapter, perhaps teaches us as much in one passage about giving. And we just had so capable to read just a few moments ago, uh, a small portion of that passage. And so I hope you'll come back tonight. If in your mind, giving has always just been a financial issue. If in your mind it's just a checkbook issue or it's just pull out some cash and that's all there is, I beg you to come back tonight and see the depth of what could be in store if in your life it became much more than just a financial issue. If you went over to Israel right now, you can see that there's one stream of water that feeds two bodies of water. And isn't it interesting that the two bodies of water could not hardly be any different from each other? You see, first we see the Sea of Galilee, and around it is lush, lively vegetation that blesses uh, any wildlife that would be there and even people. And inside that water are are fish that are a blessing to those that, that fish and partake of that. But then that same water streams to the Jordan River, and it flows into the Dead Sea. That very same water flows into the Dead Sea, but yet there no fish live. And no vegetation, the banks around it are barren because it's the lowest elevation. Really, the only difference in these two bodies of water, it's not the intake, it's the outgo. The Dead Sea receives and keeps and becomes dead. The Sea of Galilee receives and is a conduit and gives back. It's very much alive, vibrant, and productive beyond its very own self. This morning, I hope you realize that as we talk about stewardship, we're talking about something so much deeper. It's whether or not we trust God. Do we trust God enough to say, God, I want to allow you to use my life and I just want to be a conduit. I don't want to hang on to my life in a selfish manner that it's all about me. So God, I will use my energy to your glory. I will use my physical life to your glory. I'll use the abilities that you give me as a conduit to your glory. And then this morning we'll talk about, especially in worship, our giving. And Lord, I will take what you give me and I will promise to use myself as a conduit and I will allow it to pass through me and I will allow it to be used to your glory. Just reported is that Christopher Cox, a wealthy American businessman, has just been involved in what is being debated as perhaps the most expensive wreck ever. You see, as a Ferrari GTO, it's a 250 GTO, and between a two-year period of time and 62 to 64, there were only 39 of these cars made. He was participating in in a, a ride across France. It was their 50th anniversary with several other 250 GTO Ferraris. And someone, another perhaps GTO rear-ended him and they both wrecked. His wife's leg was broke. The media doesn't have pictures yet of how bad the cars are, are, uh, are, are, are wrecked. But the debate right now is, could this be the most expensive automobile accident ever? It's estimated that it'll be over 30, if not 40, if not 50, if not 60 million dollars of damage. Anybody that's thinking clearly knows that's not the most expensive wreck. If all there was was a broken leg, 
The most expensive wrecks have been those where lives have been taken. And especially lives that had souls that were not ready to meet their Lord. Isn't it interesting how it is so easy for us and we can't expect anything different in media. And and so I'm not bashing them, but I'm just saying, isn't it interesting how easily you and I take everything and we make it about money and then we place value as if that makes it the most important. And the reality is God is trying to strip all that back to say, let me help you find a life that has purpose. Let me help you find a life that you can have peace. Let me help you find a life that you can be productive. And I want you to have an income and I want you to have possessions but I want you to have them in a way to use them so that they can accomplish the greatest good. And that is our plea for each of us as we go throughout this study. If you haven't been here at Mount Juliet long, you may not believe this, but I hope after this month you'll believe this. And if you've been here for a while, you know this. We don't preach here that giving is a budget issue because the Bible doesn't teach budget issues about giving. Man doesn't set a budget and then tell other godly people what to give And then God say, whoa, that was really good. Stamp of approval. God is the one who teaches us how to give. And listen, if I'm in a congregation that the budget's being met, that should have nothing to do with how I give. You and I, as God's people, are to give sacrificially. We're to give generously. We're to give based upon what God has given us every week. What we're talking about has so much more to do with money It has to do with faith, and it has to do with how much do we trust God. Is giving something that God wants us to be involved in? When we look in the scriptures, we see clearly and quickly that God wants us to be involved in giving. Let me run through a few bullet scriptures, if you will, bullet points in scriptures quickly, and then we'll slow down as we go over to 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter. In Romans, the 10th chapter, it's very clear in Romans 10, I'm sorry, Romans 12 and verse 10, it's clear that we are to consider other people. He says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. So we see considering others, honoring one another, preference to one another. What would that look like? Does, does that just mean that, that it's lip service? Hey, I just think a lot of you. I wanted to say an encouraging word to you. No doubt, encouraging words can be great. But if that's where it stops, I've missed the point. And he makes it real clear under this same teaching when we get to 13 where he says, Distri- distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. The word distributing there literally means partaker. It means to share with koinonia. It's the idea of when I see other people that have a need, my responsibility is to say, what can I do with what I have to share with those that have needs? And he says, with saints, I want you to consider what is yours is theirs. Tall teaching here. But then you say, well, what about those that aren't saints? He says, okay, let me talk about what you do to strangers. Hospitality. I know in English we use hospitality to talk about bringing our friends in for for supper. That's not really the biblical definition of hospitality. The biblical definition of hospitality is will you take in strangers? Will you allow a stranger to eat at your table? Will you provide a meal for strangers? Will you open your heart to strangers? Will you open your home to strangers? And so notice in one verse, what he says is, do you see a brother and sister in need? I tell you what, pick up the phone and call the deacons that is in charge of that. Pick up the phone and call the church and tell it, wait a minute, aren't you the church? You usually get a big signal when you call your own number, right? Don't even waste the time to dial. Instead of picking up the phone and calling the church, what you need to do is say, you know what? I have food in my cupboard. 
What I need to do to help my brother or sister is I need to take some of my food and I need to help them. Now, yes, there is a place, no doubt, for us to collectively as a church help individuals. But if my first mindset is whenever there is a need, my first mindset is to call somebody. That's not very Christ-like. Our first mindset should be, what do I have that I can share with them? And then when they're not a brother or sister in Christ and they're a stranger, my first mindset should be, I want to practice hospitality. What is it that I have that I can share? And notice this. I don't think in the English this is as strong as what it is in the, uh, in the Greek. He says, given to hospitality. And given to, in my mind, it seems pretty lackadaisical in a way. In other words, this idea of, oh, okay, maybe I'll do that. Given to, in the original language, is to pursue, to partake of. In other words, what would we do if we were pursuing hospitality? Where we were going about on a daily basis saying, I want to practice hospitality. How different would that be when and maybe otherwise, the most frequent that we pursue hospitality or not pursue it, that we experience hospitality is when somebody's knocking on our door saying, can I have? And so we see here tremendous teachings of us individually. Now he illustrates this in James, the second chapter. And in James two, we begin reading this illustration and we won't have time to comment on it much, but, but just notice this illustration. What does it profit my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? And he goes ahead after this, and he speaks more about faith without works being dead. So what is he telling us as individuals? When we talk about our responsibility in stewardship as individuals, God is clearly teaching, I give you what I give you so that you can share it with others that are in need. And when you do so, it is a practice or an exercise of your faith. And if we will not attach works to our faith, then, that, then and therefore, our faith is dead. But now... What about someone that says, well, that's the type of giving I always do. I don't really like organized religion that much. And so I really don't, I really don't give that much at the church. I just try to make sure that, that when I see needs around me, I just try to be generous to those. I have uh, no doubt in the scriptures of these and several others we could study. God requires us individually to be generous toward others. No doubt about it. But what we begin seeing as the scriptures develop in Acts, the second chapter, the beginning of the church, we see also a model of expectation of what God has for you and I collectively. In other words, all of our help and all of our giving is not to be individually, that there is to be a great portion that we give collectively so that the work can be done also in the name of the church collectively as well as individuals in the name of the church. Let's look at a couple of these and then we're going to land for a few minutes this morning. Look with me at Acts the fourth chapter. Acts the fourth chapter. Remember the church was established in Acts the second chapter in the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And now notice what we read in Acts 4 and 34. Nor was there anyone, this is Acts 4 and 34, nor was there anyone among them who lacked talking about among the church for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. Now notice what they did with the proceeds 
and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed, we're back to that word distribute again, but it's they talking about the apostles distributed to each as anyone had need. Before the church matured and had elders, the apostles led in the place of elders that the mature church would have. And so here's an interesting observation that we can make from Scripture. Here's individuals that's selling what they have, and they're not taking and going out on their own and distributing it as they see fit, totally, but they're taking and bringing it to the apostles. In other words, they're giving it to the church. The apostles, they, they weren't using it for personal gain. They're giving it to the church. And the apostles as overseers of those congregations would then take and say, now here's how we're going to distribute it to those who are in need. Now, by the time we come to Acts the 11th chapter, in Acts the 11th chapter, Saul and Barnabas are working with the church at Antioch. And what's beautiful about this is that 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 congregation, when it had a lot of Gentiles in it, and they're hearing about a famine that has uh, had a horrible plague uh, of need and dire necessity in Jerusalem. There would have been a huge racial barrier not too long before among the Jew and the Gentile. And yet among what would have been many Gentiles, Paul and Barnabas take up a collection And they're going to deliver it to the Christians that are in need in Jerusalem. And I'd like for you to notice in Acts the 11th chapter and verse 29. Acts 11 and 29. Then the disciples, and this is talking about the ones in Antioch, which according to his ability. Now, think about that phrase, each one according to his ability. They didn't all give the same gift, but they gave the same sacrifice. There would be those here this morning that probably could sacrifice $200 And someone near them could sacrifice $20,000 and it might be the same sacrifice. The amount would be very different, but the sacrifice could very well be the same. And so each one here is giving according to their ability. And notice they determined to send the relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to whom? To the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So again, what did they do with this? They didn't just walk into Jerusalem and say, I tell you what, we've got a lot of money here and we're going to find a lot of people in need and we're just going to make sure that we get it all out. Notice by this time, there's very much a structure in place that God expects for the channeling, if you will, of the funds that are given to his work to be overseen and to be distributed. And so now with this in mind, I'd like to remind you of another time Now, this would be down later in like 57, 58 AD. There was another time that it was known that the Christians in the Jerusalem area were under great, great dire need financially. Now, this may not have been in association with a famine. This may be in association with persecution. A lot of the time when we think of persecution, we think maybe first and sometime only of physical persecution. If people started hating Christians to the point of persecution in Mount Juliet, if they didn't kill all of us, they would still persecute us financially. That's just always a result of it. In other words, if persecution started around here, there would be some that would go to their work tomorrow morning And they would tell you, I've heard you're a Christian. Yes, I am. You're fired. We don't have a place for you here. 
There would be some of you that own your own business and customers would come in and say, did I hear you were a Christian? Yes, I don't do business with Christians. And so what happens is, is that the income becomes very difficult to take in. And then even the ability to do business becomes very difficult. And that's what in the seven churches of Asia, you see a couple of the churches when he talks about their poverty. There's no doubt that the poverty was created due to the fact of of spiritual persecution that was affecting them not only physically, but financially. And so now you can imagine several of these other places. What we're going to study today, we're going to study really from this point forward, we're going to study about what the Lord taught that pertains to the area of worship and giving. But then we're also tonight going to come back and study the backdrop of the foundation of what is it that we learn when Paul was working with with the churches in Macedonia. He was working with the churches of Corinth and the churches of Achaia. And he was taking up a collection to send down to offer some kind of relief to the people at Jerusalem. And within all of this exercise that took place over a year, it was a very, very beautiful teaching on giving. I would suggest to you, and I'm I'm just saying this to challenge you. I would suggest to you that those who are really growing spiritually, that some of their favorite scriptures in the Bible are 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It just doesn't come more beautiful than 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that the whole passage is about giving and there's beautiful teaching. And tonight, we'll try to cover some of it, but I'll be honest with you. There's so much there, we would have to have weeks and weeks to get down to the the depths and the expansion of the beauty. Now, I say that to say this afternoon, why don't you take a little bit of time just to slowly read through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And tonight, we'll just try to skim off the top some of the important things. But there is, there is so much depth and there's so much beauty to this topic. And so what do we learn from this? As he's writing on this next page, you see on this next slide, you see a picture of the map there. He's writing to the church at Corinth. And you see the long distance there. Way over to the right side of your screen is the Judea area and it's Jerusalem. And so he's, he's working in this particular letter, especially especially with those of Corinth. And I'd like for you to see here what he says. Let's read 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, and let's read verse 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, verse 1 and 2. Now, concerning the collection for the saints. So we know immediately what the topic is. He tells us just right out of the gate here. It's going to be about the collection for the saints. As I've given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. First, we see here, we see the authority of giving. Notice he didn't just say here, I give you some suggestions of maybe how we can best help these people. He is an apostle. Remember the church, the scripture says the church is built upon Christ and the apostles as the foundation. What that means is it's built upon the apostles teaching. Here is an example of an apostle giving a teaching and he says, listen, I'm not speaking to you as Paul, a guy that wants to go out and do a humanitarian effort. And and this is the things I want you to see today if you've never seen it. Our giving isn't to the Lord is nothing like saying, well, I love the Red Cross. I want to give to them. Or I love the YMCA. I want to give to them. Listen, there are many good causes in our community that we may give to. But when we understand that giving to the Lord is not a financial issue, it's not a humanitarian issue, it's not a social issue. Giving to the Lord is about our faith and the exercise of our trust in God. 
And so here he says, I'm speaking by authority. I'm not just saying, hey, could I show you some pictures of the disaster that's going on by persecution to the people in Jerusalem? And maybe I can stir you up to an humanitarian act. And, and uh, maybe I can get you to give some money. So I suggest this. No, he says, I order you. I'm speaking by the authority of God. I order you participate in this giving. All right. The second thing that we need to see is who. I'm sorry. The second thing is when. When is it? Look at verse 2. On the first day of the week. Under the old covenant, they would have given and they would have given on Saturday. It was the Sabbath. Under the new covenant, Christ was resurrected on a Sunday. We see that Acts the 20th chapter and verse 7. The Christians gathered together to partake of the Lord's Supper on Sunday. It's no surprise that he would teach also the time of gathering together the collection would be on a Sunday also. And so when is this? Upon the first day of the week. How often does the first day of the week roll around? So far, it's always been once a week. So on the first day of the week, we're going to have the opportunity to give. But now notice who is supposed to do this. Notice he says, let each one of you. Now, that really doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, think about it. We have a lot of teenagers that are Christians. I mean, there's a few families here that in one Sunday, if, if the teenagers have summer jobs, if they gave a little bit of what they made, you could give so much more than them in one Sunday. That doesn't really make sense. And think about some maybe individuals we have that have had hardships in their life. And maybe they've had a fixed income and even with the financial upheaval. Listen, there's bound to be some here that God would say, well, I mean, I wanted most of you to give, but I didn't, I didn't want all of you to give. Do you think he means it? When God says, I want each one of you to give, do you think he means each one? Can you imagine God looking down and saying, I'm a respecter of persons. I only want the wealthy to have the greatest blessing. Now, if you're thinking the greatest blessing is having more wealth, that's 1 Corinthians 6 says that's the greatest danger. So that's not the greatest blessing. What's the greatest blessing? I only want the older people to have the greater blessing. Can you imagine God looking down on any group of people and saying, I want them to have the greater blessing? Let's look at Acts the 20th chapter and let's see what the greater blessing is. And it really comes down to faith right now, brethren. This is something that, that if we had a long time in dialogue, I could try to convince you with a lot of illustrations, a lot of scriptures. But right now, for just this length of time, all I can say right now is we have to decide if we believe God. Do you believe Christ when he says in Acts the 20th chapter 35 through Paul, we have a quote of Jesus. He's talking to elders and he says, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. Now, if we had time, we could talk about that more again. See, God over and over tells us, give, support, share, partake of, be hospitable, give to hospitality. All of these words about what we're supposed to do with other people in need. And then notice this, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, this is what our Lord Jesus said, Paul said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Friends, if we believe that, it makes 100% sense why God would say, let each one of you give on the first day of the week. Because God wants every one of us to have the opportunity to partake in the greater blessing. The worst thing that we can do is be like the Dead Sea. The gifts come to me and I'm selfish with them. They stop with me. 
Instead, to be like the Sea of Galilee where we're a conduit. It flows through us and that, in fact, will be the greater blessing. Well, what are we supposed to do? Notice as we go back to 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, verse 2. He says, let each one of you lay something aside. We are supposed to give. That's what we are supposed to do. That's what he's talking about here when he says, lay it aside. What does he mean by that? We can see an Old Testament passage that helps us with this principle. In other words, if we were to ask the question, what is an offering? When we go to Malachi, the third chapter and verse eight, the question is, can a man rob God? Have you ever seen a man rob God? Does he go up with a gun and hold it up toward heaven? How does a man rob God? And he says, you even asked that. And he says, I'll answer you. He says, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So what's the solution of not robbing God? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. See, God's saying, there's work that my kingdom needs to be a part of, and you're robbing me. Give me what is mine. And try me now in this. So now he says, I'll give you an opportunity to be tested, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. What's the principle that's taught here? There's several major principles taught here. First is, when we bring to God, we bring to God an offering, but we've got to realize is we're bringing God an offering that already belongs to him. This morning when the plate was passed, and it's not my place to judge you. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this is a fact. When the plate was passed and you didn't give God the offering that he should have received, you have robbed God because you kept God's part. The point is it's already God's. We keep God's part or we give back God's part. And when we keep it, he says, why are you robbing me? And you say, well, what's the solution? Real simple. Give back what is mine. My kingdom has work to do. And in my storehouse, I can only operate whenever you're giving back what I've already given you to give. So what is an offering? It's an offering that already belongs to God. And the question is, God is testing us to see what kind of conduit we are. He's testing us to see if we'll hold on to what's his or if we'll give what's his. Let's be honest. Some of us may be eating lunch out today on God's offering. We may be driving a car that's God's offering. We may be living in a house that's God's offering. And God says, you're missing it. See, it's not just the finances. You're missing the opportunity to grow spiritually. You're missing the opportunity to have that relationship with God of trust. So how is it that he wants us to give? We'll have to develop this more later. We just don't have time. But look in 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter. He says, storing up as he may prosper that there is no collection when I come. We're to give based upon how God has prospered us. If God gives a little, we give back a little. If God gives a lot, we give back a lot. But we give back based upon how we've been prospered. Well, how do we calculate that? By every first day of the week. So every week we stop and see how much has God given us. If, if somebody makes $100 and gives $10 this week and they make $500 and they give $10 that week and they make $1,000 and they give $10 that week, they may have given each week, but they have not given as they have been prospered. God wants us to give to him based upon how much he's given to him, how much he's given to them. And, and so, you know, I love to see at Mount Juliet that some weeks the contribution may be 27,000 and some weeks it may be 37,000. Listen, that's a beautiful sign because that's showing that individuals are giving how they've been prospered. What you give to God may be double one week that it was last week because God's given you double that week. 
And so the responsibility that God gives us is to stop every week and we sing the song, Count Your Many Blessings. He expects us to stop and count our blessings. Now, that keeps us from being spoiled brats and taking things for granted. Because every week we're stopping and seeing how much God has blessed us. Also, we see that this is planned. When we go back to the text as read today in 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, notice he talks about sowing and reaping and, and that, that he'll give to us based upon how we give. And then so he says, let each one of you, that's what we've already studied, give. That's the collection, what we've already studied. In verse 7, notice he says, as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly and not or, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So now we see it's his purpose or as he's planned. So we make a plan of how much we're going to give of how God has prospered us. And so in that plan, what's it going to be? Under the old covenant, the tithe was the command. Under the new covenant, there's not a percent that was commanded. You would think that we'd want to at least do as much as was given as the standard under the old covenant because we live under a better covenant. But each one has to choose what is going to be the percent that you give. And then stopping every week and calculating that reminds us of the blessings. And that should come first. We give to God first, not second, not third, not fourth. And so we take and and we consider that first of our income and we give it back to God. And that is our plan. That is how he prospered us. And what's the result? The result is that there will not be a collection when Paul comes again. Can you imagine our elders Can you imagine every time it was time to help someone in need, to support a missionary, to to take care of some kind of financial obligation? Can you imagine them having to call each individual member and say, hey, uh, we're going to have to take a collection up again. Can we swing by your house and get that? Can you imagine the disarray and the disorder that is? It makes sense that God says, I'm going to set in place a time every week that a collection is brought together. And then whenever the need is there for that to be used... There won't have to be a collection spur of the moment. With that, I'd like to read to you just some thoughts that were on my mind as I finished this lesson yesterday afternoon. The deeper purpose of giving is so far beyond just the money. That to miss the deeper purpose is to miss the opportunity to practice, even exercise your faith and see God at work in powerful ways. You just don't want to miss out on sacrificial, planned, purposeful giving. I look forward to us seeing the meaning to all this tonight. And I almost feel like I need to apologize to show you just a mechanical lesson this morning. But there's so much richness and there's so much depth. And if you have felt stagnant for a while or for years and you can't really put your finger on maybe why it is, I beg you to come back tonight and it may be that what's stagnant is you need to take that next step to grow a deeper faith and trust in God that really stretches you as a conduit. I wish we had a lot of time. God blesses us in so many ways. And one of the huge ways He blesses us is the opportunity to grow through giving. This morning, we extend the Lord's invitation and that great growth through giving is giving ourself. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. The Lord says, I want you to follow me, but I want all of you. 
Are you willing to deny yourself and to really make me the Lord of your life? If you haven't done that this morning, why not do that this morning? What a blessing it'll be in your life. And what a blessing it'll be for us to have another brother or sister in Christ to worship and serve God with. Maybe along the way, after you've become a Christian, you've lost the way. And you haven't been giving God your all. And maybe you've gotten off course. And maybe this morning you want to pray forgiveness. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.